Welcome to the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast. I'm Alexandra Pecci, Revenue Cycle Editor for Health Leaders. My guests today are Jeanette Wood, Vice President of Revenue Cycle Management at Privia Health in Arlington, Virginia, and Amy Waller, Privia Health's Vice President of HIM and Coding Integrity. Jeanette and Amy, thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. If there's one consistent element of dealing with COVID-19, it's that things change on a daily and sometimes even hourly basis. And that's also true for the revenue cycle. So to manage those changes effectively, Privia Health's revenue cycle leaders developed an online workbook that can be updated and shared in real time. Jeanette and Amy are going to walk us through how they created it, how it works, and why it's been effective. But before we get into the workbook, Jeanette, can you please tell us a little bit about Privia Health? What are you, where are you, and who do you serve? Sure, Privia Health is a national physician-led medical group with more than 2,500 providers in six states and in the District of Columbia. We have 2.6 million patients and 660 care center locations. Whether it's a single provider or a large group, we give them the power to remain independent with tools, technology, and talent that fits their model. And our resources include everything from practice management and population health services to revenue cycle management and value-based contracting. Thank you. So now let's get into that workbook. What is it? How did you develop it? And how does it work? So our goal was to come up with a single source of truth that is user-friendly, dynamic, and easily accessible. We also needed a solution that was not only flexible with payers changing rules daily, but also scalable so all of our markets would have real-time information at their fingertips. And because Privia utilizes G Suites, we were able to create a workbook that can be shared across our whole network. Can you walk us through some of that development process and also tell us how it's evolved from when you first conceived of it and launched it until now? Sure, we formed a work group that consisted of staff from our billing, coding, and payer contracting departments. And we began by creating documents and lists that were general across payers and markets that we shared with our providers and staff. We soon found out that due to the inconsistencies between payers and our different markets, that we needed to have a tool that could be payer specific and easy for our providers and RCM staff to navigate through. So we created a workbook with tabs for each market that consists of the CPT codes that each payer allows uh, to be done virtually during the COVID crisis. The workbook continues to evolve daily as we incorporate additional payer requirements and or additional billing guidelines as they become available from the payers. What does it look like in a practical sense? How do users access it? What do they see on their computer screen? And what kind of information is stored there? So this is Amy, and we decided that a workbook with multiple tabs that could link each market with their specific MAC and payer guidance would be the best way to go and the easiest for the user. Um, the first tab, if you just picture either an Excel or a Google Sheets workbook, the first tab really is our table of contents. And that's the hub that links all, the, all of the information together, but mainly the user to their specific um, market page. Um, it, we, on the table of contents, if you can picture just all of the directions, so the most important thing is the last updated. 
We want our users to be able to come and look at the table of contents and see, oh, it was last updated 5.16, something like that. They will know that everything is current to that date. We then have a section that has important notes. This is really the directions on how to use the workbook. What are the, what, um, what do the symbols mean? We have some X's, we have some highlights, we have some hyperlinks, things like that so they know what to look for. On the right-hand side, again, just picture some columns. On the right-hand side, we have updates by payer or recent updates. For example, on 5.13, annual wellness visits may now be done telephonically, um, and it also is allowed for risk adjustment. Those are the kinds of things that we have there. Signet does not cover TCM codes. Up-to-date things, 5.12, 5.13, so that the user knows, okay, I already know all this. I don't need to go um, dig deeper. Then the body of the table of contents, we have um, a couple of different things going on, but but pretty easy. We've made categories for all of the different CPT and HixPix codes. For example, we have our, um, our evaluation and management, we have our e-visits, telephonic services, all of those are highlighted and underneath each one of those we have each market. So a user just has to click on their market, let's say for skilled nursing uh, facility services, they would click on let's just say the Mid-Atlantic tab, and that would take them right to the skilled nursing uh, facility services on the Mid-Atlantic tab, and they will see that code um, and a bunch of other things. And that takes us to the first tab, which we will um, kind of talk a little bit about what we see on the tab when they actually get there. So what you see when you get to the first tab, and we're gonna just talk about Mid-Atlantic, but it doesn't really matter, they all look the same. Again, we want a consistency. Our markets do talk to each other, so we do want to make sure that everybody has pretty much of the same thing. On the left-hand side, we have CPT codes and HixPix codes. We have all of them that CMS and payers currently allow. Now, next to the code, CPT codes, we have the full code description. We decided to do this because so often we see these descriptors shortened and then um, you don't really get the full meaning of what the code has. There's lots of directions in some of these codes. So we have the full descriptor there. In addition, sometimes we'll see problematic codes, like for example, prolonged codes. How are they used? Are there add-on codes? What do we do with that? So if you go to the prolonged code area, of course you can do control find, easily find what code you're looking for within the tab. You'll see a hyperlink there. So some of the more problematic codes have hyperlinks that will take them right real time to an updated um, one pager. How do we code that? What is the documentation requirements? All of this, um, all of these uh, codes are updated as well with the um, one pagers. We also, in the Medicare section, again, we're talking um, CPT codes and HixPix codes. So in the Medicare section, we also highlight right on the tab of the Medicare interim E&M guidelines because they're different. They're not the same as normal E&M for um, CMS. So we have that another hyperlink right to a one pager. What's different? How do we do that? What do we document? Um, so that's basically how the CPT coding side of it works. So I'm going to flip it back over to Jeanette for her to talk more about the payer side. Jeanette? Thank you, Amy. So across the top, if you're visualizing a, a spreadsheet, across the top in each column, we have each payer for the market. Um, so some of the shared payers um, across the markets would be like Medicare, Medicaid, Aetna, Cigna. Um, and under each of the payers, we have uh, on the next row, 
which place of service and or modifiers are specific to those payers that they want during COVID um, crisis. Uh, for example, for Medicaid, um, in our Mid-Atlantic Department, because it is within two states in the District of Columbia, our Medicaid actually wants different places of services based on the state. So we list for under Medicaid for Maryland that it's place of service 11 with a GT modifier, but for Virginia and DC, they want place of service of 02 with the GT modifier. So they can look into that column and that row and see that, oh, I'm billing out of um, Medicaid for Maryland, I need the place of service of 11 in GT. Um, we also add under each payer their um, patient responsibility um, for the cost sharing waiver, whether it's just COVID and or non-COVID related services that they're gonna waive the cost share for the patient. And then we go further down the column and we match up to the CPT code. And if a particular provider um, does not accept that specific CPT code uh, to be done virtually, we will put an X in that box um, so that they know that that CPT code cannot be done virtually for that payer. And then if, if the payer has any specific um, modifier rules based on a specific CPT code, we will also add that guidance right in that uh, column and row that ties with the CPT code in the payer. Um, and any additional information that is needed for that particular provider, uh, we will add hyperlinks um, from that particular column and CPT code. Oh, that's amazing. And does this workbook live on an intranet? How are people accessing it? So we use the Google um, suites, so or the G suites, so that it's uh, available to anybody on our network that, uh, that all they have to do is click on the spreadsheet and it's available to them. So it's updated real time. Um, so it's, it's very easy for them to get this information. Great. Now I'd like to hear about using the workbook. First, how does it get updated and who updates it? Is there a validation process before updates are entered? On the other side, who gets those updates and how do you disseminate them? Sure, so we not only have our, our work group providing information um, amongst the four of us, but we also have our entire revenue cycle management team we also our revenue integrity team and our coding teams. All of all of these teams are well connected with payer information, different you know, lift serves, different information coming all the time. And absolutely we review all payer communications as well. Once we get all this pool of information, which happens multiple times a day, um, we kind of get a general consensus if it's correct. So we absolutely validate and nothing gets put on the spreadsheet until the four um, core group members decide it's legitimate and it's correct timely and then we um, enter it. Pretty much we have two people that actually enter it just to make sure it's, we have super tight control on that to make sure it's correct. Um, especially when we monitor the, the denials, that offers up a lot of information that you might not even get anywhere in email because we're seeing what's happening real time with the payers. So Jeanette and her team um, get these denials and then they'll funnel them actually over to our, our coding and audit team and we review them to make sure that everything is correct and why are they denying and um, try and help out um, the revenue cycle team as best we can. But yes, everything is validated. And again, as Jeanette said, we use that Google Drive, so all so everything is updated in, in real time, and nobody really has to wait. It's very seamless for them. And once we actually rolled this out, 
we saw a drop in emails to both the coding email, the billing email, um, and our you know, customer experience team went down dramatically because we were providing this information so desperately needed to our care centers um, and providers um, on a real-time basis, and they found that it was correct, and I think that's uh, super important. So we do a lot of validation to answer your question. Mm-hmm. Are you email blasting when updates are added, or do people just know to check it? Right now, they pretty much know to check it, but we absolutely do a lot of communication. Um, I think the revenue cycle management and coding teams um, work with um, our patient communications department and our, of course, provider communication, care center communication. We do um, special uh, information communication, I think like maybe at least twice a week. So we kind of do a roll up and then if something big comes out, like what I think Jeanette, you can talk a little bit about the um, uninsured patients, like that type of communication, that that was super important too. Correct, so um, part of the CARE Act was to provide um, funding for uninsured patients and um, that was just rolled out recently and it's created a lot of work for us in the beginning to get these patients enrolled. Um, and one of the stipulations was to make sure that we had accurate social security numbers and or driver's license numbers in order to enroll these patients um, in the CARE Act. And so we were able to send the communication out um, quickly to all of our care centers, um, practices for, for those that are familiar with the first care center. Um, to make sure that they are capturing that data uh, when they are virtually seeing these patients so that we could register them in real time. It was easily communicated out to everybody. And Jeanette, you said during the Health Leaders Virtual Revenue Cycle Exchange in May that you can flag certain new data in the workbook to hold claims until they're ready to be submitted. So can you tell us more about that process from kind of beginning to end? Sure. So um, when we add new data to our workbook, it's notated in this table of contents um, and it is highlighted. And if we determine that the new data requires a change in how a claim needs to be submitted, we can immediately create a rule in our practice management software that will hold hold those claims to ensure that the claim is submitted correctly. For example, we have seen payers change the place of service and or modifiers they want on claims from one day to the next. And we are quickly able to update on that, update that on the spreadsheet and also to add a rule in our practice management system to hold those claims um, for the correct place of service or modifier until we can get the required change in our system that will automate those changes for us. Um, and by holding those claims, it, it allows us to make sure they're submitted correctly the first time instead of having to send redeterminations and or um, corrected claims uh, once the change is in place. And by having the workbook um, where we can note that change and it's immediately viewable by our network of care centers and RCM staff, everyone was alerted to that change and we were able to um, immediately uh, notify everybody that the claims would be placed on hold so care centers wouldn't be wondering why their claims were not going out the door. Um, Another good thing about our worksheet is as we move out of the COVID crisis um, and we continue to, we'll, we'll continue to use this workbook to provide immediate updates um, for pay, on payer changes, such as when they will end the expanded coverage um, for the COVID services and re- return to their normal telehealth 
policy. So, um, you know, as the COVID crisis winds down, um, we can immediately alert our, our providers that they can no longer bill preventative services. For example, uh, some of the carriers were allowing preventative services virtually during COVID. Um, so this workbook will continue to be used uh, for as long as telehealth. And I think in this market, we're gonna continue to use telehealth um, for extended, uh, extended period of time and for um, most likely for, uh, for years to come. So we'll be able to keep this workbook and continue to update that as payers change. Jeanette and Amy, it's been wonderful talking with you both. Thank you for being here and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of patients and each other.